church, I am so conscious of the importance of the word that I'm carrying in my heart for us today as a congregation. We're in week three of our Different Spirit series. If this is your first Sunday back or if you haven't had a chance yet to connect to the other weeks, we want to encourage you to do so. They're all online, but I'm carrying something in my spirit for those in this room and for those that are watching right now, wherever you are watching from around the world, in whatever room you're watching in. I believe that what we're talking about today is absolutely critical. I've been talking about this reality here in this series that we're in an inflection point for the gospel in our city. I've said week in and week out, and I'm going to say it and continue to say it, that that I think we are at this inflection point where either the church in Hong Kong is going to move forward in this season and in this hour with hope and love and forgiveness and reconciliation and the character of God into this city at this time, or we're going to find ourselves retreating backwards into the shadows of irrelevancy and despondency. And I think God is calling us and asking us, what are we going to do? Are we going to rise up in this time with energy and love and faith and step boldly into our future? Or are we going to retreat back? Are we going to hold, in other words, a different spirit? A different spirit that we're seeing in the world right now. A different spirit from all of the stuff that seems to be taking place and decisions that seem to be making. And are we going to say, no, no, we're, we're Christians. That matters. That means something for this time, in this context, and in this hour. And, and I want to be a part of an army that moves forward in this time and doesn't retreat. I don't think Christ died on the cross so I can retreat. I think Christ died and rose again so I've got something to say, not because I'm awesome, but because He's awesome and the gospel is alive in me. There is a different spirit for this moment and this time and this hour. I'm going to go forward. Now, here's the thing, church. There's one thing that is going to stop us from moving forward more than any other thing. There's one thing that will cause us to freeze in the place that we're in and want to retreat from the promises of God. And that thing is the giant of fear. And we've seen that giant manifest itself This week, when one person of one ethnic group gets this disease, everyone else, 350,000 of them, need to respond. That's fear, my friends. I'm a little angry about it. I've got to leave my anger before the Lord. Sorry, Jesus. I love my city and my government, and I pray for it. I do. But fear is going to hold us back as the church in this hour and in this time. And what we need to do is be aware of what fear is, how fear manifests in our lives, how we can then deal with fear so that we might be the people with the gospel for this context, for this moment, and for this time. I wonder if anybody in this room and online, are you with me? We don't want to be slaves to fear. We've just sung it, haven't we? I get the great joy of helping you today break the chains of fear over your life. I actually believe that what we're going to talk about in the next 30 minutes can change your life. I believe that every week, by the way. That's just something I do. (laughs) But this week, I really believe God wants to heal and restore and redeem you. Let me start by giving you some general observations about fear. Here's the first thing. Fear is a God-given emotion that is not evil in itself. Come on, church. You need to realize that fear is actually God-created. It is an emotion He wants you to feel at times. That fear actually is a protector and a helper to us. 
that there are some very legitimate reasons in our lives at times where fear will help to protect us, will help to enable us to survive in our lives. So fear is not in and of itself evil. But as Christians, I think sometimes we give fear like a really bad rap all the time. Okay, that's the first thing. Fear is not in and of itself evil. But here's the second thing. You will, or there are two types of fear that will be a reality in your life. Rational fear and irrational fear. Both of these things, rational fear and irrational fear, both of them are true, both of them are reality, and both of them are powerful. And one of the keys of unlocking fear in your life is to be able to discern between, is this a rational fear that I'm feeling, or am I feeling an irrational fear that's at work in my life? And your ability to discern between those two things will be a long way to helping you begin to process your fear in healthful and kingdom-advancing ways. I want you to know this. The enemy is always at work turning a rational fear in your life into something completely irrational. That's what the enemy wants to do. Take COVID for an example. This pandemic we're in, there's a rational fear to it. I mean, this is a dangerous disease. We've seen this disease take many of our loved ones in this room over this last year and a half. There's a rationality to being afraid and being fearful of catching this disease. But we can take what is rational and allow rumor and opinion and social media and everything else, blow it up into something that it's actually not, and find us so irrationally fearful of this disease that that now shapes everything that we do. It even begins to shape public policy. Come on, church. We have to find ourselves with the ability, with a different spirit, to discern between what is irrational and what is rational. Here's the third thing. You are never going to be completely free from fear. Ooh, preach on this one for a bit. Some of you need an expectation shift, and that's going to bring you some freedom. You're never going to be completely free from fear in your life. Some of you in this room think that if you are a Christian, it means you get a fear-free life. Being a Christian is not about you being completely fear, uh, free of fear. Being a Christian is about you not being a slave to fear. That's a different thing. And we need to understand the difference between that because that will set us up for greater freedom. That, that I'm never going to completely get fear out of my life. How I respond to fear. What I allow fear to do for me. Whether fear will drive me towards God's grace and His humility and His promises. Or will fear enslave me and move me away. See, here's the reality. Irrational fear is at work through the enemy in your life. To cause you to be so close to God's promises and go, we cannot do it. And it will cause you to walk in the opposite direction to the one that God wants. Some of you in this room, you've got dreams and you've got hopes. I mean, you've got things that are sitting on your heart and they seem impossible to you. The enemy is going to throw so much fear in your face that you're willing to walk in the opposite direction. Let me say this. Somebody with a different spirit is not somebody who is free from fear. It is someone who has decided that fear is not going to determine their ultimate destination. That's what Christ calls us to. So these four things, 
That fear is a God-given emotion. That we're going to have rational and irrational fears. That we're never going to be completely free from fear. And yet we can have autonomy over what fear is going to do in our lives. These four things are the foundation of everything I'm going to talk about in my message today. In fact, these are the four things that are the foundation of the passage of Scripture that we're about to go to. I want to help you be free from fear. Now, let me say this. We've been for three weeks now, this is the third week, sitting in this story of Numbers 13 and 14, the 12 spies that are sent into the promised land. And before we open the passage, let me, let me remind us of that context. Here's Israel after many, many months, having gone from slavery in Egypt, all the miraculous works of God, now they're at literally the footstep, the doorstep of the promised land. And this land has been promised to them for many months. God has spoken many times about a land flowing with milk and honey, that that land is here and ready for them. And here's Israel camping right there at the doorstep. Twelve spies go in and they bring back a report. And that report is two things, grapes and giants. Grapes representing the beauty of the fruitfulness of the land. That the land indeed is flowing with milk and honey. That the land of God's inheritance is one that is fruitfulness. The grapes represent the promises of God. God promised us this land. Look at these grapes. It proves His promises. But on the other side, there are giants in the land. And they they come back, the 12 spies, with grapes, yes, but also giants. Fortified cities, really scary people, really strong warriors. And the question that we looked at last week is, which one of these two are Israel? Which one of these two is Hong Kong and our city and our church going to listen to? Because the grapes feel really feeble in the mighty shadow of the giant. Two of them are willing to go, we see the giants, but we're going to believe in the grapes. Ten of them go, we can only see the giants. And we know there's a little bit of fruit, but man, these giants are so overwhelming that we cannot do it. And guess what happens? Majority opinion wins. We saw last week that they begin to spread a bad report about the good news of the land. And that bad report stirs up so much fear in them that I want to show you what happens. Here is in Numbers 14. Is this helping somebody already? All right, you have to say that. Thank you for saying that. The night, uh, this is uh, um, Numbers 14, verse 1. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? I mean, our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. I mean, surely wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they came and said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I want you to see what happens when a rational fear becomes completely irrational. So here's Israel. And the 12 spies have gone in and they come back. And remember what we said last week, all 12 saw the same things, grapes and giants. And I believe, although it doesn't say it in the scripture, I think all 12 of them, quite rightly, saw the obstacles to taking the promised land and were anxious about those obstacles. Those those giants are big. The, The cities are fortified. I think even Caleb and Joshua were not blind to the fear, the rational fear of the reality of what was in that land. 
It meant that it was going to be difficult for them to go in and take it. It meant that there was going to be some challenges ahead. And I'm sure those challenges for all 12 of them created a fear in them. Here's the difference. 10 of them decide that that fear is so great that they're going to magnify the fear amongst the rest of Israel. And so what you see is that they begin to spread a bad report. They actually magnify what is a rational fear and they make it completely irrational. They do this with the language they use. They go like, this land is going to devour us. They're the descendants of the Nephilim, the mythical great giants. We we feel like grasshoppers in their eyes. I mean, they are blowing this thing up. This is exaggeration. You need to know this. Fear is always the currency of choice when it comes to social capital. Like if we want to get a group of people to do something, we're going to fill them with fear because fear is a greater motivator than love. If we really want to get a bunch of people to do things, we're going to tell them how bad these people groups are. We're going to tell them how fearful they need to be of this type of person. We're going to tell them all of this to get them to do what we want. So here's the 10, and they're magnifying what's a rational fear, and they're making it into irrational fear. Are you following this? And in doing that, they're trying to get Israel to change their direction. Now note this. It says here in the passage that all of Israel raised their voices and wept aloud. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. They haven't even been in the promised land. They haven't seen the giants. They don't know how big the cities are. Everybody, only the 10 and the 2 have actually seen. But everybody else is like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Because they're believing in the exaggerated majority report, and that's created a rational fear. I wonder how many of us in this room are sitting with a rational fear in our lives because you believe the majority exaggerated report. Whether that's for your business, whether that's in your marriage, whether it's in the city here and in our politics and the culture here, whatever it might be, there's an exaggerated report. You're believing it, and that's created a rational fear. Notice what happens when we have a rational fear. Verse 2, all the Israelites, first of all, grumbled. Oh, I'm going to preach on this one for a moment. Here's what happens when you have fear in your life. You start to grumble and complain and get angry at people and upset, and you think it's everybody else's fault and not yours. Fear, when it goes unchecked in our lives, creates a complaining, a grumbling that suddenly we're not satisfied anymore with what is going on in our lives. We're not happy anymore. We, we so dislike the feeling of fear that we want to run in the opposite direction. And the first place we do is we want to say, this is not my problem. This is not my fault. This is not my thing. This is everybody else's issue. Who can I find to blame for the uncomfortable feeling that I'm feeling? Anyone done that? Okay, you're all lying. That's great. I want you to notice where they put their fear. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. I mean, who can we find? Who can we find? Oh, I know. The two men that have so brilliantly led us out of slavery to the promised land. The two men that have listened to the word of God more than anyone else. The two men that have been on their knees and have been face down before God more than the two men that seen God face to face. The two men, those two, you know what? It's their fault. I'm so uncomfortable. I'm so filled with fear. It must be Moses and Aaron. I call this victim blaming. Follow this, church. This is what unchecked fear is going to do in your life. It's going to cause you to feel like you're a victim. 
And when you feel like you're a victim, you have a desire to blame somebody for your victimness. Like, who can I find to blame for the reality that I feel like I'm a victim in this place? Here's the irony about all of this. This is the enemy's strategy. Your fear that you're feeling is your feeling. Come on, church. It's your feeling. It's in you. Why are you trying to blame someone externally for something that's internally in you? (laughs) This is what the enemy does. He wants to so get you to go, no, this is, this is something I'm dealing with. I'm feeling fear. There may even be a legitimate reason why I'm feeling that fear. But the reality is it's my fear, and I need to face that fear and deal it. No, 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 no. We go, it's your fault. You're the reason why I'm feeling fearful. And if you would change, then I would feel a lot better. Thank you very much. And we put ourselves in a place of the victim trying to blame someone else. You need to know this. You're doing that to give yourself a temporary sense of comfort in the midst of your fear. See, victim blaming gives us a a sort of false sense of comfort in, in the realities of what we're going for by actually enabling us to express our feelings outwards by pointing them out in someone else. We want to point out all the brokenness in somebody else to try to make ourselves feel temporarily better about the fear we're in. You need to know this, church. That's some of the reasons why I think we've had so much disunity in our city in the last couple of years. Some of the reasons why we've seen divisions in families and in workplaces and in churches is because all of us are in this victim-blaming mode because we don't want to or we don't know how to deal with the fear that is in our lives. And I wonder whether what the Holy Spirit might be saying is those with a different spirit are willing to go, you know what, it starts and ends here. Like this is my feeling. And I need to have some way of processing this feeling. And by blaming you, that might give me a temporary relief, but it's not dealing with actually what's inside. Whew, I'm hot. Like I'm physically hot. I'm not, I'm just physically hot right now. It's hot in here. Is anyone else hot in here? I'm hot. (laughs) All right, now notice what happens next. So they're blaming Moses and Aaron. They're trying to get rid of their feelings by temporarily blaming somebody else. Verse 3, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Here's what happens if you adopt a victim-blaming mentality to deal with your fear. You will never stop at people, and you will always end up blaming God. You'll always go to that next level. You see, the outworking of unchecked fear in our lives is always the rebellion of God. And so Israel, they're on the doorstep of everything that was promised to them. And they say, why has God led us here? Like, it's not just Moses and Aaron's fault. It must also be God's fault. Because how can this be God's good idea? A few years ago, in 2006, God said to me, Andrew, it's time to start a family. Oh, yeah. So my wife and I, we started to try to have a family. Two years later, we're in the doctors. And we're like, we can't have a family. Why can't we have a family? It must be Chris's fault. (laughs) So we have all these experiments. They do all these tests. I'm not going to give you the details. And at the end of that time, they say to Chris, you are the most reproductive person we've ever seen. (laughs) You could have babies all over the place. Andrew, we need to talk. Turns out I have azuspermia. It's a condition that means that although I'm physically and biologically perfect, I cannot produce sperm. Like, it's just not there. 
And so I'm sitting here going, hmm, God, you said it was time to have a family, to start a family, and then you created me biologically so it was impossible for me to do so. This, is this just like some divine joke? Here's Israel. You promised us this promised land, but there are such big giants there that we're just going to die to their sword. Like, is this just a big joke? Fear, if it has its loose in your life, will always lead you to the point where you're disagreeing with the promises of God in your life. Where you're willing to call into question what God has said to you. God said, Andrew, it's time to start a family. He wanted me to go through the process of realizing that that wasn't going to happen biologically so he can give me a beautiful half Nepalesian, half Nepalesian, half Nepal, half, we call her Nepalesian. She's half Nepal, half Indonesian. And she's the most beautiful, awesomest, like she is my daughter. That's the one that God wanted me to have. But I had to go through all of this. And in the midst of that, I was blaming God. I hated God. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to pray. It was all God's fault. Because I wasn't being willing to deal with the fear of what it would mean if I didn't be a father. Hmm. Some of you here, you're blaming God for something that he actually just wants to heal in you. And there's a process that he's opening up in your life where you can respond today to what he's actually trying to say. Now notice the final thing that happens. Verse uh, 4, and then they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We're going to give up on Moses and Aaron. We're going to give up on God. We're going to find a new leader. Guess what? People do this all the time. Let's find a leader who tells us what we want to do. Like, who agrees with my opinion. Let's find a leader who's going to do what I want. Let's find a leader who's going to also feel the fear in the same way so that we can go back and do We would rather be in slavery. You remember those 438 years when we were oppressed by Egyptians, when that was really hard? Man, that was great compared to this. Like, we would rather go back there to Egypt than to step forward and fight some big-looking warrior dudes. I would rather be enslaved. Here's the reality. If you allow fear to go unchecked in your life, you will always choose to find something that enslaves you if it will help you to feel less of the discomfort of fear. Some of you in this room, legitimate fear in your life that maybe has been blown up to some irrationality and you're placating that fear by enslaving yourself to alcohol. Because it gives you a temporary relief from feeling that way. Or maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's Netflix. I've said that a lot in the last couple of weeks. I really like Netflix, trust me. Or maybe it's an affair that you're having on your spouse. Or maybe it's whatever it is for you. But it's the thing that you turn to in order to release that feeling of fear. The thing that enslaves you into an addictive thing in order for you to feel temporarily better than the fear in your life. Is anyone with me? Here's Israel right on the precipice, and they're like, I would rather have this enslavery thing than actually have the concern of facing the giants in the land. Here's the reality. Every single one of us has an Egypt that we're tempted to return to because of the fear of the giants in the land of God's promises. That's the inflection point before the church in our city right now. Are we going to retreat back to just doing church as a little holy huddle on a Sunday and make sure we don't say anything that's going to upset anyone? 
Or are we actually going to step forward with the gospel the way the gospel was always meant to be lived? Are we going to allow ourselves to be enslaved or are we going to move forward in freedom? That's the question. And here's Israel, and they're so overwhelmed with fear. And I say, here's Andrew, and I'm so at times overwhelmed with fear that I want to retreat to the things that enslave me rather than trust in the uncertainty of faith. I would rather trust in the comfort and the security of the things that enslave me than the uncertainty of what might make me free. Come on, church. I wonder if anyone else in this room feels that way. So let me pull all this together into an amazing Andrew Gardner diagram that you can take a photo of. Are you ready? I call this the fear cycle. And this is what we've just seen in verses 1 to 4. First of all, there's an obstacle in the land that God wants us to move into. The giants of God are there. And out of that obstacle comes fear. And this is the turning point. What do we do with that fear? Remember, you're never going to escape fully from fear in your life. So this is the turning point. How are we going to respond to the obstacle and the fear that rationally it creates? Well, we, I, we respond here with complaining and grumbling. And as we complain and we grumble, as we, we find that place of, of trying to get some instant satisfaction for how we're feeling, it leads us into that victim-blaming mentality. It's all these other people's faults. I'm not going to take responsibility or autonomy for how I'm feeling. I'm going to blame everybody else, which if that's not, not checked, that ends up in rebellion with God and before God. And that rebellion always drives us into a place of slavery. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Oh, really? Because if fear is unchecked in our lives, it's always going to lead us back into a place of slavery. Helpful? Now, here's the question. How do we break the fear cycle? I mean, how do we actually change this in our lives? How do we live in a different spirit in this different hour? Well, let's keep reading in the passage. Is this helping anyone? Anyone in the upper house? Good. Thanks, Katie. Anyone online, is this helping you? Let us know in the comments section. We want to know. Verse 5 says this, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole of the Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. There it is. Don't allow your fear to cause you to rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will, be, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. So do not be afraid. Everybody say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I want you to see how the fear cycle is broken by four people with a different spirit. Moses, Aaron, Caleb, Joshua. First of all, verse 5, then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Moses and Aaron are being attacked. You are not our leaders. You're the ones to blame. You are terrible people. They're feeling the whole of Israel coming against them. Do they stand up and try to fight back their haters? Do they try to reply to that tweet with another tweet? Are they trying to like fight the back of the people? Are they trying to blame others? No, here's what they do. They fall face down. Like if I was there, I'd be like, what? Like, come on, guys. Get some strength. We want to hear from you. They're face down before the whole of the Israelite assembly. They're not face down in honor of them. 
They're face down in honor of God. See, the posture of being face down throughout all of the scriptures is a posture of the fear of the Lord. It's the posture we put ourselves into. And what it means is humble submission and the recognition that we have great need. Moses and Aaron don't try to defend themselves. They don't try to fight back. They don't try to try to push back the haters. They fall down before God and they say, I will not succumb to human fear. I will replace human fear with the fear of God. Like I'm going to make a stand here, face down on my face, before everybody to say that there is a greater fear than what you're talking about. And that is the fear of God. It's not the same kind of fear. The fear of man or the human fear is just like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. I'm so worried. I'm so anxious. The fear of the Lord is God. You are mightier and more powerful than anything in all the universe. With just one thought, you can dramatically change everything. I will submit myself. I will put myself at the mercy of a God who could wipe me out or raise me up with just a little thought in his mind. That's the person I come to when I'm feeling overwhelmed in fear. I need help. But you see, the problem is we allow our pride and the fact that it's everybody else's fault to make us think that we're strong in saying that when actually our posture must be the fear of the Lord. See, human fear freezes us, but the fear of the Lord puts dancing feet upon us. H- human fear shackles. The fear of the Lord sets free. Moses and Aaron physically dis- demonstrate a different spirit before the Israelites. And in so doing, they welcome them to respond. Notice what happens next. This is fun. This is fun, isn't it? Hmm. Verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jonathan, were there among the blah, 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 blah. Verse 7, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, here's what they say, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. The two with a different spirit, Joshua and Caleb, stand up in front of everybody. Now remember, notice the, the difference here. Face down, they now stand up before everybody, and they go, hey, the land is not like the report you're believing. You are irrationally believing something. Yes, there is this reality of the giants in the land. But let me remind you, it's not about the giants. It's the grapes. 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 They they don't say like the cities are extremely big. They say the land is exceedingly good. No matter how small the grapes might feel in the shadow of the mighty giants, it is good. Why is it good? Because God's promised it to us. They start to to twist, to turn, and walk in the opposite spirit in the report that the Israelites have given. Fear will drive you to try to freeze you. They're trying to go, no, don't believe the majority. The grapes are exceedingly good. Hmm. I didn't feel that way this week. This week I was upset, angry, frustrated, heartbroken for the Filipino and Indonesian foreign domestic workers in our city, for the 400 people that are suddenly in lockdown in one building. I was upset about that. And it was really hard to see the grapes this week. But I stand before you today almost wanting to walk in the opposite spirit to how I'm feeling. And I say this, Hong Kong is still exceedingly good. That God has not given up on this land. That there is still hope even in a week when it seems like the grapes have been crushed. Those with a different spirit are, are willing and able 
to actually say, to declare before the giants of fear in the land, this land is indeed exceedingly good. But I believe the grapes over the giants. Caleb and Joshua are trying to get Israelites to remember the promises that were there. And then notice what happens finally in verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land. Because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. For he's with us. He's not with them. He's not with their fortified city and their massive people. He's not with all the armory they have and how great an army they got. He's with us. And the grapes are proof that he is still with us. He's not given up on us, but you want to go back to Egypt? God's not in Egypt. He's not in the place of slavery. He's in a land of freedom. He's right there. We're standing right next to it. Come on. He's with us in this. You see, this is amazing. Where everybody else wants to rebel against God. Here's Joshua and Caleb, and they're like, no, no, no. It's not about rebelling against God. It's about inviting his presence. It's about reminding ourselves that he is with us. You see, fear will always do this in your life. Fear is always designed to make you feel like you are alone. That is such a lie. You are not alone. Jesus calls himself Emmanuel, God with us for a reason. He is with you always. And because he is, your fear can be overcome. Because God and his presence and Jesus is actually with us. And if he is with us, who can forsake us? Greater is his love in me than the fear that is in this world. I am a child of God. Why? Because I'm special? No, because he's standing right next to me with his arm around me. And we, alongside of each other, are walking into our future. I will not retreat into slavery. I I will make a stand face down before the Lord, acknowledging my need, knowing it's not in my strength, remembering his promises, inviting his spirit so that I could know not the complete eradication of fear, but that I'm no longer a slave to it. So let me bring all this back to another diagram. Here's the fear cycle. Remember this? Here's what Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb give us. They give us what I call the faith cycle. It stats out very similar. There are obstacles in the land, and those obstacles create fear. That's the reality for all of us in all of our contexts. But is that fear going to cause us to complain or grumble, or are we going to lie face down and acknowledge the needs that we have? Are we going to put ourselves in humble submission before God and say, you know what? It's not about victim blaming. It's not about pointing out everybody else's problems. It's about taking responsibility for how I'm feeling and doing this, remembering the promises of God for myself. Like, I'm going to remember those things. I'm going to do my best to do that. Not to tell everybody else how bad and wrong they are, but actually find in myself, you know what? God is still good. So therefore, I'm not going to rebel against him. But in the faith cycle, I will find myself inviting his presence. Oh, God, I need you. I am overwhelmed with irrational fear. I need you. Would you come and be with me so that I don't move into slavery, but I receive freedom? That's the faith cycle you see in Numbers 14, verses 5 to 6. It's the thing that I believe can set you free. Not because you're so strong and awesome. 
Not because you've got all these great mechanisms to deal with fear, but because you lie face down before the Lord and acknowledge your need of Him. Because you recall, even in a week like this, that His word and His promises are still good. That you're able then to invite His presence, knowing that you cannot do it alone. But because of Christ and His death and resurrection, you are never alone. And in inviting his presence, you feel his forgiveness and his life and his mercy. And suddenly the fear diminishes and faith rises. And you are able to proclaim in Hong Kong, the land is exceedingly good. Do not be afraid. You want to have a different spirit? Break the fear cycle and walk confidently into the land that God has given us. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. And here's what I want to do today. Let's just take this moment. We've got 15 minutes before this service is supposed to be finished. Praise the Lord Jesus. (laughs) And I want to use that 15 minutes to pray for you. I believe there are people in this room that need ministry together today. Sometimes at the Vine, we often push ministry at the end of the service after it. But we've carved out time today to do it right here, right now. And whether you're in the upper house, we've got some pastors and prayer team there. Or whether you're here in the lower house, we've got pastors and prayer team here too. We're going to carve out now the next 10 minutes to minister to one another. And so I want to invite the prayer team, if you could just come and uh, stand here at the front. If you're one of the pastors of the church, I'll invite you also to be here. And in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to invite you to come forward and receive prayer. In the upper house, we've got Katie on the left, and we've got uh, Tim on the right. And I want to encourage you in the upper house in a moment to come forward and receive prayer. Maybe this message has meant something personally to you today. Remember, the starting point in breaking the cycle is face down. It's actually being willing to put your hand up and saying, I, I'm feeling fear. And I, I, I need to acknowledge that reality in my life, and I need to have someone pray for me today. By you coming forward in a moment, that's part of your breaking of the cycle. I want to come and get prayer from somebody in the church to stand with me at this time. And then in that prayer, we're going to speak the promises of God over you. We're going to invite his presence into whatever context and situation you're fearful of so that we can stand together unified as a church and not allow fear to determine our destination. Come on, Vine. We're not going to allow fear to determine our destination. And so would you take this time to be ministered to if you would like that and if that means something for you. And if you don't come forward, that's fine. Of course, you can receive ministry where you are as well. But perhaps today you're like, you know what? This is my time to come forward. I need to have someone stand with me. Let's pray. Open your hands with me. Father, we just invite you now in this moment and in this time. We invite your presence here. You've been here, obviously, the whole time. But we pray now for a manifestation of your presence in a beautiful way. Lord, there are many people in this room that would like to receive prayer where fear is a reality. And some of us, it's rational. Some of us, it's become irrational. Some of us, it's, it's just there. For others, it's actually determining our direction in life. And Father, we want to break the chains of that fear. We want to break the strategy of the enemy over us. We will not stand for slavery. Because your presence is here, we are free. So Lord, I pray in the upper house, in the lower house, and for everybody online as well, 
For anyone that's needing a sense of your reality and your presence, would you come now? Church, I want to invite you just to come forward as the team begins to respond in worship. Just come forward, take the time to get prayed for. We'll, We'll take the time to pray for everybody that needs it today. Let's respond as the church.